All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your Romeo Savile veteran. And I'm the Practical Magic Virgin. <laughs> and we're your host. Uh, guys, this week we watched a movie. We watched a classic Halloween witch love story, Practical Magic. We decided we needed some extra help to talk about this movie, as we always do. So we invited in producer Patty. Hi, producer Patty. <laughs> Hello. Hi, it's me. I'm producer Patty. So I had never seen this film. This is crazy. Pat, had you seen this film? I realized while I was watching it, I definitely had seen it, uh, like around when it was on basic cable. I've I've seen parts of it. I didn't retain yeah. much. But th- there were definitely things that I'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this scene before. I think this is just showing the vast difference between <laughs> like women's childhood and men's childhood because I feel like me and so many women I know like this was a seminal movie for them. Like it I can bring up practical magic to quite a few people and they would be like, "Yes," and we would talk about it. We talk about the house, we talk about the clothes. So it's so funny that it was such a big part of some people's lives and then it completely skipped you guys by. <laughs> it was like our Star Wars. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like you're Van Wilder. <laughs> Aaron, why do you love this movie? Or or do we want to do a what is this movie first? I mean, I can say what this movie's about. It's about two sisters who are witches. They have... Now, that's their aunts that they live with, right? Yes. Okay, they live with their aunts. They're two witches. They have a curse on them that any man they fall in love with is going to die. And... It's all about them, one of them, Sandra Bullock, finding love. And otherwise, it's like kind of a mess. There's a, there's a, she, she summons this, this police officer because when she was a kid, she wanted this, uh, she wanted to fall in love with a guy who could flip pancakes and had one blue eye and one green eye. And those things seemed impossible to her. Nobody would be able to do that. So she didn't want to fall in love. So I'll come up with a guy who's impossible. And then he shows up because they had murdered somebody who tried to kill Nicole Kidman's character. I mean, I feel like, and I know I said this with Bridget Jones' diary, but I think a vast majority of the people listening to this podcast, I assume, would have seen this movie. Don't get mad at me if you haven't seen this movie, please. But I assume a lot have. Right. And it's based on the Alice Hoffman book um, of the same name. And she just released a prequel book, Magic Lessons, which, you know, Christmas is coming up. Yeah. I mean, that's such a weird, dry telling of the story. And it's I think it's like a bit more alive than that. I think also what was happening around this time is the craft came out and this came out. And I think the 90s were the mid nineties, at least were kind of a bit of a witchy time. And I don't know if it's just that during that time I was like an adolescent. And so I think it's not unusual for young girls to be interested in magic, but I think it it came out during this period where there was a lot of talk about sort of feminine power uh, and what that meant. And then I think to have this movie that is basically all women other than um, 
what is this David Firestein who plays his her first husband and then eight Mark Mark, Mark Feuerstein who gets it. And we'll talk about him later. There is some Mark Feuerstein erasure in this movie. <laughs> Aiden Quinn and uh, Gord Vishnik, who plays uh, Jimmy Angelo. Um, it's it's like very centered around like femalehood and friendship and very like feminine traits. And I think it's like a place that feels really safe. And it's definitely I've watched this movie maybe a million times. I don't remember watching it for the first time. I think it's one of those things I feel like has always existed. <laughs> time in memoriam. And I think it's it ends up being that for a lot of people. It's just like kind of like a safe, nice place. And the idea of having um this close of a sister relationship is really attractive, I think, to to people, too. And, and, you know, at the end, it's a group of women that save them. So I really I don't know. I really, really love this movie. Um, I get the criticism. I totally believe that this is a film that is better as a experience than it is as a film. All those things that you're talking about mm-hmm. with the the female driven, this yeah, all the townswomen at the end coming together to vanquish this this uh, male foe, the the way the the house is designed, the all these things that are so female centric. Of course, as a young girl, and even somebody maybe in their twenties who would watch this movie for the first time would really see it as something unique for its time. But like simply as a movie I'd never seen before, I I was expecting it to be a little better in the sense of having a story that I cared about and the tone was way all over the place. I thought it was going to be I thought it was going to be like a fluffy romance and there was elements of that, but then there was like an undead spirit that possessed Nicole Kidman and the townspeople hated them and hissed at them and stuff. And then all of a sudden the townspeople did not, did not hate them. And it just, I think the tone was very all over the place for me. That made it kind of difficult. Yeah. I think there, there was just, for me too it never focused on on what it was really about and maybe that is the the problem of you know adapting a novel and maybe this if if netflix was around this would have been a good streamer a good 10 episode show but it it was i think for me the main problem was and especially that this is a romance podcast the romance was the weakest part of this. And I don't think it's like the actor's fault. I thought Aiden Quinn was dreamy. Sandy Bullock is, is, is Sandy Bullock. But I didn't think it. this movie needed that at all. And it was like, to me, the romance is kind of like, I don't know, not icky, but it, it definitely pulls you out of what I think is the only strong element of the movie, which is Nicole Kidman and Sandy Bullock hanging out as sisters. And I I just didn't need Aiden Quinn to show up as the guy who makes her forget about her dead husband immediately. I don't like that. Maybe it's just me being a first <laughs> husband, just like I don't like to see that Mark Feuerstein gets run over and gets forgotten so quickly that the movie ends with Aiden Quinn 
picking up those kids and then being like, you're our daddy now forever. Yeah. I, I didn't like that. Like, where is Mark Furenstein? And he's a ghost, and we know ghosts exist in this world. So he's just sitting up there watching all this. And not that he doesn't want Sandy Bullock to be happy, but come on. This, mo- this movie does definitively prove that cyclists are evil, and yep. they should be stopped. Because yeah, he-, he doesn't get killed by a group of cyclists, but they distract him, and he almost gets killed, and then he gets hit by a truck because... I guess the Tour de France decided to go through, uh, th- like reroute and go through this this film or something because there was spandex-clad cyclists that were bearing down on this small town uh, road, and the neighborhood vegetable delivery man, which is I think what he was, almost gets run over and then gets run over by a truck because of them, because they're maniacs. If, if cyclists yeah. are maniacs and they're a scourge of society <laughs> and and the the cyclists in the back how come one of them wasn't like heads up man there's a truck right behind us there's a truck also in this race which is the only explanation for why a truck would be so close to a pack of cyclists exactly and and yeah there's a lot about that death that that doesn't really make sense but and then she pulls up those boards like a main have you ever tried to pull up one board, one wood floor board, and she's like pulling them up to try and kill this beetle, which the beetle ticking is a sign that your your love is going to die for these women. So she hears the beetle and she tries to find it in the floorboards, which I guess was she going to kill it? If she killed it, would it have saved him? I don't understand what the what the rationale for that is. Yeah, obviously. And also, I think she was, like, frantic. Obviously. she had that's tools. That's not obvious. Like, it's not like she was pulling it up with her bare hands. I think pulling up the floor with your bare hands would be very difficult. But she had tools. And it was an old house. As she was pulling up the old boards, you could see underneath it. They were, as the new boards, you could see there were old boards underneath. So, yeah. she was trying not to, she say was, obvious for this movie ever. <laughs> she was frantic. <laughs> so, Aaron, what, did you like yeah. the romance? What do you think of? Of Sandy leaving Mark Furstein. He died for Aiden years before. Um, they don't make that. They don't that make that before. very uh, well. I mean, I guess other than the no, because the kids are pretty much the same age as we see them when they're dancing around with the with the with the father. It's not that long between his death and Aiden Quinn coming in and and slinking in yeah. in his Texas boots. Well, I or whatever. Because they don't switch the kid actors. It's the same kid actors, and they obviously don't age over the course of the filming. So it it could just be a week later. We It's it's very no, unclear. You're being mean. She has to go back and forth to Arizona from a small island off the coast of Massachusetts. So it takes time. Um, uh, no, because I think the thing is, is like with, with the first husband is that that was the aunts and they put a spell on her to fall in love because they thought that she was too lonely but it wasn't a true love because it was the spell so then when he dies obviously she is really upset she doesn't get out of bed for a long time but then when she meets Aiden that is true love so then that's different I'm sorry Pat I know you're my first husband and this is hard for you to hear Uh uh-huh so did your, did your Aunt Kathy just put a spell on us and this isn't true love? Is that is that going to be the excuse when Aiden Quinn 
saunters over in a couple of years. Well, you would be gone first, so I don't think you would have to worry about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, Clayton, don't lose this tape. Nope, I got it. I got a backup. But that's what it is. So I it's got the true quick time. love. And it's also, it's like you can find true love after, you know, a spouse passes away. It's not like then you have to just like, you know, wear black forever and die. Like. No, see, I'm Italian and that is what you have to do. You have to wear black forever and then die. That is that is our way. <laughs> All right. Well, if I die, then you can go ahead and do that. I'm Irish and French Canadian, so we do things differently. We remarry immediately. It's different for Italian men. <laughs> yeah, Italian men, that doesn't apply. It's Italian women have to wear black forever. Yeah. That's the rule. Yeah. Men have to find another mother for their kids. Um. So you like the Aiden Love Quinn the Aiden Quinn romance. romance. I feel like that was what the first time that I saw this movie, that was the part that I really connected to and I really loved. I was really in, I was all in for Aiden Quinn and I thought it was like a very romantic story of her and Aiden Quinn. Like she couldn't lie to him off the bat. It was like almost love at first sight. She knew that he was special. She was like a mess around him. He had fallen in love with her through her letters like, yeah, that's it's a great romance. It's really good. Well, can I ask, because maybe I just wasn't keeping up with this. How did he get her letter? Because Jimmy Angelov, like, was in trouble with the law. And so he was investigating him. And so they went to that room, that motel that they stayed at. And she had sent the letter to Jillian. And so the letter was still there. So then okay. he found the letter and that's how he knew where to go to find the to find Jillian because she he thought he was going to find Jimmy. But he realized that Jimmy was dead. Yeah, I liked Aiden Quinn's really dark blue shirts that he would wear his button up shirt. I want whatever shirt that is. It's very odd to me that a green eye and a blue eye, they're so close together. I couldn't tell. If he truly had a green eye or a blue eye, that might be me being colorblind. But I was trying to see a difference in his eyes, and I couldn't. Could you guys see that? That one of them was green and one of them was blue? I just believed them. Well, they have the one shot where you can clearly see that they had, like, given him a contact or something. And he it does look like that when she's up close to him. But I think if you're not super close, it's not like it's a brown eye and a blue eye that you would notice quite as, like, as severely. So... See, I think she should have asked for a brown eye and a blue eye. Yeah. Be like, I want one of his eyes to be brown and one of them to be blue. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a David Bowie eye. She should have been like, I want him to have eyes like David Bowie. Yeah. And then he could flip pancakes, which is something that I think a lot of people can do. I don't know. Have you ever tried it? It's actually quite hard. Yeah, but I I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that somebody could do it. Well, I don't think that's the point. Like, she just picked all of these. She was also a child when she did it. She was, like, seven. That's true. So it's like she was just picking things that she liked as a seven-year-old. And so flipping pancakes is one of them. I don't think she thinks of, like, the gen pop and how many people could actually do it. Like, I think she's just, like, a kid. And, like, what are weird things? Flipping pancakes. The one eye and the blue eye. Doesn't eat paste would have been a good one to put on there, too. Uh, did you guys ever eat paste oh yeah of course i was so bored in school are you kidding i did it i did whatever i used to also like staple my finger just to feel alive (laughs) (laughs) 
you ate paste and would you eat paste and staple your finger like was this a sideshow situation <laughs> no i think i probably just tasted the paste because people always talked about eating paste so i was like well let's see if there's anything here for me and i don't think i liked it and then i would staple my finger just for fun because i would be so bored so i never ate paste pat did you eat paste i never i assumed it was toxic <laughs> i didn't eat yeah it. I guess it's weird because this is a movie that – because I've seen The Craft, and I've seen The Craft several times. And The Craft, mm-hmm. I think, is a movie that I obviously like a little bit better, and I think there's action elements to it. And I just think it's a more straightforward story where we kind of know what everybody wants, and it comes to a satisfying conclusion where this is a little bit more meandering. It – kind of has a i mean sandra bullock wants love but the way it the the i don't know the way it goes about what it's trying to do and i think pat maybe summed it up is that the romance vein just wasn't strong enough and the real selling point is the sisters that would that's like the love story that's like the important love story and i guess i never really felt like they had a great chemistry the two of them but i am not a nicole kidman fan i find her to be very cold even when she's trying to be sexy mm-hmm. like when she when she goes to the pta meeting and she goes you know lock up your husbands i'm like for what <laughs> why what are you gonna do i get why they should be locked up i get it uh, that's also one of those lines that, because Practical Magic is a movie that even if you haven't seen it, I feel like if you're our age, you saw the trailer a thousand times. And like, I don't know for you, Clay, but that line is like burned in my brain. Like when she said the lock up your husband's boys and does the like sort of shoots her hip out. I was like, oh yeah, that's a trailer moment that'll live forever. You didn't you didn't you didn't feel that surge like, oh yeah, this was a big trailer moment ninety seven, ninety eight. <laughs> no, it's not I am Spartacus or or somebody stop me. See, I, I I distinctly remember that being a huge deal. Um no, I I thought Nicole Kidman was really good in this. I didn't think the actors were the problem at all. I think I wanted more of Nicole Kidman and Sandy Bullock just hanging out. Also, I wanted more of them, and I get this is sort of the point of this movie, is that especially Sandy Bullock is resisting her witch, you know, uh, upbringing. But I did want to see more of them hanging out, having fun as witches. Yeah. You know, like, and there would be these weird things where you'd have Sandy Bullock just, like, hanging out at her house early on, reading the paper, and then... She uses magic to stir her spoon in her coffee or her tea or whatever. And I'm like, all right, so she's doing a little witch stuff. Just do some more because that's kind of what we're paying to see. You know, like I feel like this movie sets up this premise of you're going to see Nicole Kidman and Sandy Bullock as witches. And then it really doesn't deliver on it until like the very end. Uh, well, they only use it when it's practical, Pat. Yeah. It's stirring your coffee. But, no, I, it's practical yeah. magic. It's not just show magic. It's not show magic. No, but then do more practicals. I wanted then more scenes like that. Like, let's see them, you know, I don't know, mow the lawn, and they're just sitting on there, and the lawnmower's going, or, or 
stuff. Like I wanted some more practical magic then. Yeah, I think that I agree with you. I don't think I know. I agree with you on that. There's not. There's not for me that segment of the movie that is aspirational in. Wouldn't it be cool to be a witch with my sister? Yes. And then the split happens, which it's funny when Nicole Kidman runs away from home, her and Sandy are obviously in their 30s pretending to be teenagers. I always love those (laughs) scenes that they do because, I mean, Uh I don't want to see them recast. Like, I don't want to see two two teenagers that are supposed to be Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, but... When she runs away and they they're hugging, I was like, "This is so funny that they're trying to be like eighteen in this." But I think that's the thing that you're missing, though. Too is like the story is also about like coming in into yourself and revealing yourself because the town really hates the Owens sisters or the, like the Owens family when they're like trying to hide their magic, and so when they're like secretive about it and. They don't want to talk about it. It's when all this ire comes. But then once they open up the town to it and are like, here, do you also want to participate in it? And here's what we do. And surprise, we're actually witches. The town really embraces them at that moment. And I think that has to that's like the turn of the story. So it's like if you have her just doing like weird magic at the beginning, it's a part of herself that she's ashamed of. And she blames for sort of like her parents dying and why she was an outcast as a kid and why her husband dies. So it's like it it wouldn't make sense for her to then be like really into just like dicking around doing magic. Like she blames it for a lot of parts of her life. And ultimately, she has to become comfortable with that aspect of her life and who she is and embrace the magic to the point where then the last shot of the movie is them jumping off the roof as witches um, and then like landing safely. Yeah, that's a wild that's a wild ending because now it's basically the town knows that there are witches. There are witches doing witch stuff just like in front of, you know, dozens of people. Um, yeah, I wonder where the town goes from there because we now they they're the only town that is like claiming we have we have magic in our possession. You know, like, I wonder, I wonder how, you know, does the town monetize that? Does they um, start trying to use that to take over other towns? It's just an interesting spot to be in, to just, like, publicly acknowledge we have magic now. You would think there'd be some tourism starting, too, that someone would want to come from a different town and see the witches jump from from the roof every Halloween are they in Salem or they're somewhere else? They're, they're supposed Salem, to be right? in like an unnamed island off the coast of Massachusetts. Like she talks about going to Logan, but okay. it was filmed um, in an island off the coast of Washington State. Pat, you were thinking of Ho- Hubie Halloween, which <laughs> does take place in Salem. Well, yes, because I did watch Hubie Halloween right after this. Um, that'll be, I don't know. If- yeah, even though that that movie does have a great romance, maybe we could cover on Learn the Tropes, but I guess not this episode. <laughs> well, we'll definitely can swoon about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I I know what you're. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying, Aaron. That for story purposes, that is the story they're telling. I guess maybe it's just me. I wasn't super interested in the story they were telling, and I just wanted to see some more magic. Which maybe that's the viewer's fault. 
though I don't think the customer is ever wrong. So I think you, you constantly think the customer is wrong. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I guess I just don't want then a movie about witches who are fighting against their urge to use magic. I just want to see them use magic. Yeah, well, then you want yeah, a different there's... movie, you know. That's true. Um, yeah, our expectations um, for this movie, I think, were way different than the reality of what it was. And since it's not a formative movie for us, it 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 fell pretty flat, I would say. And and it's great that it is it is like you said, feminine centered and and things like that. And so, I that was not my issue at all with the film. It, it I wasn't like, where are the dudes? <laughs> Why is there no explosions or whatever? Right? It just really didn't elicit any feelings to me other than. Wow, what's gonna like? Why is that? Like, what's going on here? Like, why should I be invested in this? What do we think of the? Uh, I guess the. I mean, the main storyline is Nicole Kidman's abusive boyfriend gets out of hand. Sandy Bullock comes to rescue her. They end up killing him, burying him, and he comes back as a demon. Like, I feel like I feel like that's the big problem with the movie for me and probably for Clayton like we talked about the tonal shifts it's they just try and do so much in there and that's like a pretty heavy storyline like that detour when you know like there's scenes of him like choking her in the back seat and and it just feels it feels really wedged into this movie like his his character just feels like a lot to be in in the rest of this movie. And he had murdered somebody beforehand, and that's why Aiden Quinn's character was looking for him, because we couldn't figure out whether he was a serial killer or not, but he definitely had killed somebody before, so Nicole Kidman was in in mortal danger. The other thing about him is, I don't know if you caught this, Clayton, but Erin, she heard me make this observation, is that he is actually the first utterance we hear of the Borat, my wife. Yes. He says, he says, Nicole Kidman, he goes, because he was, is he Italian? I don't know. He's some kind of, uh, he uh, he has a, an accent. And he said to Nicole Kidman, I want to make you my wife. He, yes, I caught that because they bring him back to life. They kill him. And then they want to bring mm. him back to life to try and save uh, you know, you know, make sure they don't get arrested. And when he gets resuscitated, he immediately goes for Nicole Kidman's throat and is like, "I want to make you my wife, my <laughs> wife." Yeah, very much. Yes. I, I, I heard it. Yeah. So I, I just wonder if Sasha Baron Cohen, like who I do think is a, a comedic genius, but did he get something from uh, Practical Magic? I feel like the best... And no one realized What it. is it? Geniuses Steal? Is that what it is? No. Uh, yeah. Something Borrows Geniuses, Geniuses take... Steal. Okay. Yeah, I guess so. The actor is from Bosnia. So it's like a Bosnian accent. But yeah. He's not supposed to be from Bosnia. Yeah. No, I think though. he's definitely <laughs> supposed to be Italian. But I think that they just were like, whatever, this guy. Because he went on to be on ER, like my favorite show of the 90s. And he had that same accent in ER, but they allowed him to actually be from Bosnia, which was nice. I mean, 
that was the other issue is that that we had this TV actor that was trying to be in a movie <laughs> here, and I I felt every moment of it because I remembered him from ER. I was I or I knew he was on a medical show, and I remember him being in Scrubs, not the show Scrubs, but wearing Scrubs, and I was like, oh, he was on a TV show for like ten years or something, because he never this guy never made any sort of hay in actual movies i think after this yeah you wanted this to be like william hurt i i mean it would have been cool if it was like a name actor of some sort i mean but also Mm -hmm. you don't want to you 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 the main attraction of this film was sandra bullock and nicole kidman so they are the big stars i think aiden quinn is a great choice because he's not a star He's a real handsome, manly dude, but he he's not going to outshine either of them. And when you're making a film like this, you need to protect your stars, which is the Nicole Kidman and, and Sandra Bullock. So that's, I think, why they, they hired this TV actor to be the guy they kill, because, of course, we're fine with them killing a TV actor. Right, right. We're, we're just like, use your witchcraft to banish him back to television where he belongs. Yeah. And also, he was abusive, so obviously, I'm not crying over this guy dying for any reason, but it helps that he's not no, no. Chris O'Donnell or somebody. Yes. Oh, that would have been, that would have been wild to see Chris O'Donnell in this part. But he's not, he's not, he has no, like, allure. I think the allure of, of the, the character was that he, he, he was not Lily White like, like the rest of the people in the movie. Right. Um, so, Aaron, is there anything else that you really want to highlight that maybe we haven't gotten to or that you feel like Clayton and I have been too yeah. harsh on? Because I, I really don't want to come on to this romance podcast with a heavily female audience and and like just bash Practical Magic. Like, I get it. I get why this is your Van Wilder, why this is your... Um, smoking you know, aces. Uh, you said smoking Tom. aces, which was the perfect. Yes, yes. Why this is your smoking aces? Yeah, I get it. It just didn't work That's, for me. I mean, everyone's allowed to have their own point of view. Um, I didn't actually think you guys were going to like it, but it is funny that this is such a cultural touchstone. Like last night, as I was doing my evening Instagram doom strolling, like literally like three posts are about people watching Practical Magic, like people I knew and like influencers and stuff too. So it is definitely a big cultural uh, touchstone for a lot of women. I do think we're overlooking something big that was something that was revealed about the behind the scenes uh, a few years ago um, when uh, Griffin Dunn, who was the director, was doing like a press for something else. He ended up revealing a huge secret about Practical Magic, which is he apparently had no great interest in witches, but he hired a witch consultant to help with like the spell books and to sort of like bring a bit of um, authenticity to all of those things. And he had the witch in rehearsals and stuff and was doing all this stuff with her. And then she told him that she wanted a t- like a quarter of a million dollars for her consulting fee. And he was like, that's way too much money. And then she said she would only do it if she was guaranteed a tie in practical magic cookbook. 
which they also said, we're not doing that. So they fired her and then she put a curse on the film. So, you know, I think that might be part of it, too. It could be you guys are responding to the curse. So this is a a film that only women love and men can't stand. So, you know, I do think that's part of it, too. Like when we um, were looking at the movie last night for Pat to watch it, I could recite it from memory. Like you could wake me up out of a dead like anesthesia, like a 10 hour surgery. And I would wake up talking about this movie or reciting the entire thing. Um, Pat observed that it was 22% of Rotten Tomatoes, which is not great, but I do, I attribute that to the curse and not to the strength of the film itself. So this witch, this witch cursed it to be a single quadrant film. Mm -hmm. So it would only be, uh, popular with, with women. And so therefore that's why this is not a film that other people can really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Is that what the curse was? Did he go into it? Well, apparently, as Griffin Dunn tells it, she said, I'm going to put a curse on you. I'm putting a curse on the movie and I'm putting a curse on Griffin. Um, and then wow. she started oh, saying, so poor Griffin Dunn. how dare you? Um, you think you can buy me off? I'm going to tell you something. This is a land of curses. And then she started ta- speaking in tongues. Wow. Whoa. Oh, I feel bad for Griffin Dunn. I'm like, I know Clayton too. We're such fans of his. And it is true. He never, his directing career never took off after this. He had uh, Addicted to Love the a year before. He had this movie. And then that was kind of yeah. it as far as big Hollywood movies for him. Yeah, because this movie was a financial disappointment. It didn't make back its budget. Yeah, which is also, I mean, that is... I I give it up to this witch because she was really mad. She placed a curse, but she didn't place a curse on it the way like the movie Poltergeist is cursed, where like the cast would die constantly. And, you know, there was all these horrific accidents afterwards. Like her curse was basically this will underperform at the box office. Well, no, it did well at the box office. And I think it probably it has to have made its money back. It did. okay. it didn't. It did not. Well, all right. It probably has made its money back, like in you know, uh, in D- cable rights DVD. and you know DVDs and all that. But yeah, at the time, it was definitely an underperformer. But it wasn't an, a bomb. So the witch, the witch was definitely very. Um, she didn't go too far in the way she cursed this movie because she didn't curse it to like open it one million dollars. Like it opened at thirteen million dollars opening weekend, which is. Fine. Well, I think like, that what every w- witch knows is when you put a curse on something, you get it back threefold. So I think she didn't want to completely destroy the mm. film, but she was angry. So she's like, I'm going to do something. But then if it comes back threefold, it's not going to be that big for me. So that's why, because right. even in the screenings, apparently, like women and girls like were living for it. Yeah, I feel I feel like Sandra Bullock might have felt for the next couple years that she that curse had been real because of her her run of stinkers until Miss Congeniality kind of remade her career. Mm-hmm. Wow. But Griffin Dunn, now we know why his directing career didn't click. Well, it's interesting that this, I mean, actually it's not because this was 98. So of course this movie would be directed by a man. I don't think it was uh, a priority for someone to find 
a female director to direct this, even though it would have been interesting to see that. So I don't think he tips his hat as a male directing this film, but it, it is so female-centric that it, it's, it's almost a no-brainer mm-hmm. that you would have a, a female lensing it. What did you guys think? Like, Aaron, do you think that you can see the male gaze in this? Or, I mean, there's definitely that Sandra Bullock when she is in short shorts tending the garden before she runs to find her love. That was a little bit like, okay, Griffin was like, yeah, bend over more. Get those radishes. (laughs) I I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I just wonder what a woman would have brought to the film that a man just couldn't. And I mean, obviously it's like, I like this movie so much. It's, I don't have like a ton of complaints, but I do think it's like when you are a man making a a film about a a very female experience, it, you're see, everything has to come through a filter or something because it's, it's not just you having that experience and then being able to translate that experience. It's you having to hear people tell the experience, take it in yourself and then translating it to the screen. And there's just something that gets missed in that translation. So I would have loved obviously to have this be a female director. I think there certainly were female directors, but they weren't getting these big movies. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I, I, we don't, but that's the thing. It's like, we don't know what we lost. We don't know. Would this have been a completely different movie or would the tone have been different or, uh, would a female director have highlighted things differently? Pro- I mean, yeah, without a doubt. I think, but uh, I mean, yeah, I'm just, dis- when I found out I was a male director, like I didn't love it as an idea, but there's no part of it in other movies with that are so male gazy that you're just like exhausted by it. I think you're right. It's like that scene of her running in the t-shirt and the tiny shorts is a little ridiculous. But other than that, their outfits are like fairly tame or outfits that I would actually really want to wear right now. (laughs) So I don't feel like that necessarily happens again. So, yeah. So you, so, but there would be like a, an Aiden Quinn buttock shot. We can hope. Just like a greased bottom. Why greased? Why not greased? Yeah, that's, that's male gaze. I mean, that's still that's still male gaze, Clayton. Greased bottom is male gaze. Yeah, I don't need a lubed up butt. I but I, you know other people might, but I think for the story wise, I don't know if that would have been necessary. If it's good enough for Stallone, it's good enough for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, this movie it wasn't for me, but. There are definitely things I like about it. And I would say, yeah, the, to me, the main thing that works that I wanted even more of is just Nicole Kidman and Sandy Bullock hanging out and let him do some more magic early. Come on. <laughs> huh? Could we get a little magic in the second act, please? Huh? Oh, and her singing Joni Mitchell. Uh, Nicole Kidman singing Joni Mitchell was great. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish this would have. Oh, and just. I wish this would have been exclusively soundtracked by Joni Mitchell instead of. That like the the pop music in this was like overbearing sometimes. Oh, the pop music was so nineties, like late nineties specific pop, like this kiss and stuff that it was it's it's like if you have nostalgia for that time, then it's great. And if you don't, it's really grating. Like the music is not good, but it's also, you know, excellent. Well, I yes, I have nostalgia for that like Sliding Doors is a good uh, example of a film around this time 
that has a, a kind of an overbearing late 90s pop soundtrack, which I actually really, really like. Mm-hmm. So it just, I felt like I forgot how over the top some of these musical cues were back then. Right. And it's that thing of like every song being exactly on the nose of what is happening in the scene. Like there's no, there's no subtlety to any of them. There wasn't a lot of subtlety in the 90s. Here's a line from Roger Ebert's two-star review of Practical Magic. A movie lacks confidence when it uses music to tell us how to feel. The music intrudes, insists, explains, and tries to force segues between events that are not segueable. Example, early in the film, an impending kiss is accompanied by This Kiss by Faith Hill. <laughs> yeah. Right on, Roger. Roger's never wrong. Greatest of all time. Um, I love the aunts, Stalker Channing and Diane Weiss. I think are also just the people that you would want to have raise you and that they're like so loving, but knowledgeable and you feel like they would actually be able to take care of you. And I loved the aunts and they dressed in like this weird, like 1910s, like, like Edwardian kind of even style that I also fell in love with. I think for a long time I would watch this movie and I wanted to dress like Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock. And now I watch the movie and I want to dress like the aunts, just gloves and driving hats. I think would be so fun. A veil. Yes. And they had that one, uh, that sun umbrella, mm-hmm. that really old school sun umbrella. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I don't feel bad that I didn't like this film because sometimes you just don't like things. I don't think it, I think it will, obviously, it will continue to be a perennial favorite for a lot of people. I would not be surprised if there isn't a remake of some sort in the pipeline, mm. whether, mm. you know, a TV show, because they always make TV shows now, or a, a film. I could see it being something that could be remade just because of its cultural cachet. Yeah. I would hope that they would solve yeah. some of the problems with it, though, if they did try to remake it. I think turning this into a into a like a streamer solves so many of the problems because it just this movie just has so much wedged in there that I think it it really needs time to breathe. It really needs, and I don't say that about most stories. Like I love, I like movies more than TV shows, but this story actually feels more like a TV show than a movie. Yeah, because we need to see the fun of them growing up as as witches. And then we have to, it has to be episode three or four when the murder happens. Yeah, it feels so much like what you would get. Yeah, I, 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 it, would, it would actually be surprising if we live another 10 years and don't see a Practical Magic streamer. I think if that happens, then things have gone wrong. Or that's you the know, curse. So, so incredibly wrong in the world. Yeah, maybe. So she, this witch was like, my main curse is this will not be adapted for a streaming service in 20 years. Mm-hmm. So she was ahead of the curve. She should have been talking to the she should have ta- been talking to like the writers and stuff and letting them know about you know st- streaming rights and and DVD sales and stuff like that. Yeah, I know it's like she's like so worried about cookbooks, meanwhile she already predicted the streaming revolution. Yeah. 
I mean, you should have just given her a cookbook. I think that's the moral of the story, too. Like, if a witch wants to write a cookbook, mm. just let her. I would 100% yeah. buy a Practical Magic cookbook. Sure. Um, get, can, could we get her on the show? I don't know. They never say who she is. So. Pat, could... I don't want to invite that kind of mojo <laughs> on here. Because then she's going to be like, well, now I want a Learning the Tropes cookbook that I'm the author of. And we wouldn't be able to do that. And then she's she's cursing our podcast yeah. and our downloads become underwhelming. <laughs> we continue to be only listened to by women. Um, or but then less women. Yeah. And then my directing career doesn't pan out the way Griffin Dunn's did. It's too much. I don't want to bring this in. That makes sense. Well, so do we recommend this film? That's the thing. I think I think it's an it's not a film you either recommend or don't. I think it's a film you've either seen or you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> like at this stage, if you haven't seen it, then maybe you just got to let it go. I mean, I would 100% recommend it. I think this is, a, and especially it's like now that we can't really leave the house that much, none of us can have the Halloween celebrations that we wish we could have. I think making... Uh, some nice harvest stew and then drinking some wine and watching practical magic is a pretty nice evening. You could do worse. Well, they were drunk during that scene. Did you know that? That's another behind the scenes thing. They actually drank and got tipsy when they did that drunk scene. Yeah. The lime and the coconut. Yeah. Yeah. Lime and the coconut. You knew that Aaron. Um, I don't know. I feel like I knew it in my soul. I don't know if I knew it. (laughs) but no i mean that's fun i guess anytime you could get drunk at work you might as well take advantage of it i'd recommend it (laughs) you after all that you'd recommend it i don't like it i don't think it's a good movie but i get that it is gonna work better on different people and i don't know Nicole Kidman, 90s, I not recommended one of those movies. So Oh, I mean, it. that's the thing. Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock are gorgeous in this movie. Like, stunning. Both of them. I love, yeah. Yeah. Do we have any Halloween-related swoons? A scary swoon? Yeah, scary swoon. Anybody? Aaron, you got a scary swoon? I do. And this is such a, like, it's, it, it's a book that I bought um when I was in Belfast last year and the cover is like gorgeous and I was sort of like okay well this seems like pretty I'll buy it and let's see and it it like said that it was like a scary off-putting like defies um just defies like sort of that explanation so I was like you know waiting for the right to like be in the right mindset to read it uh, and it's actually, it's this Sue Rainford, it's her first book, and it's called Follow Me to Ground. And it's a, a, like an absolutely gorgeous book. It does defy like genre or really explanation. Um, it's short, it's about 200 pages, and it's sort of about this father and daughter, and you don't really know who they are, where they come from, but they're able to like fix the townspeople they're able to heal them by like opening them up and like moving their insides around and taking out things and they bury people in their garden that helps them and they wake people up and it it's just a really weird (laughs) it's a very odd book but it's really beautifully written 
And it's one of those books that stays with you for a long time. And one of those books that you find yourself thinking about and also um, recontextualizing constantly of like, is this what it was about? Is this what it was about? In a really, really good way. And in, in when it's like a sticky book in that sort of a way, um, there are it's like trigger warning for uh incest not between the father and daughter but something else so and the and i can't believe it's this woman's first book like i can't get over it so sue rainsford uh follow me to ground it's it's good it's a good spooky it's a good fall book it's 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 really it's really well done not a romance well not a romance well i i don't want to go out on a limb here but i i I feel like me and Pat are going to have a, a dual. Uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's Hubie, Hubie Halloween, Halloween on Netflix. <laughs> Adam Sandler's yes, latest. Of course. Probably. Maybe not the best of his Netflix movies, but the funnest of them, the most fun. Would you agree with this, Pat? Yeah, it was so fun. It, I texted Clayton. Uh, I'm already smiling year to year, <laughs> like three minutes into this movie. It, uh, you know, it, uh, it's it just everyone's back. Uh, well, you know what I love about Sandler movies is it's just the gang is all together. They love hanging out. You know, you get your Ben Stiller and Kevin James and, you know, Julie Bowen's back from Happy Gilmore. And they just you just could feel they love just hanging out with the Sandman. It's just a good time. Yeah. He's just riding around a bicycle in shorts and getting scared by Halloween, even though he loves Halloween. It, it's it's a perfect good time. We're back to the overly goofy comedies of Sandler where he's doing a funny voice mm-hmm. and he's kind of a man child, but it's mm-hmm. done in a way that he understands that it's it's goofy and it's something we all know he does now so it doesn't seem incongruous or or something so it it really loves the halloween season i think when when you watch this movie you get the feeling of halloween just in the set decoration and everybody's dressed up and yeah it's it's definitely stupid but it's very fun and there's there's way worse ways that you could spend 90 minutes than watching Hubie Halloween on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah, it was, there's some creepy parts. It's so great. There's some creepy, scary parts in this movie. Yeah. I mean, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. I mean, let's just say that. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. So, so Hubie Halloween. I could see this being a movie that very much is like a practical magic in the sense that I couldn't say it's a, you know, a, a good movie, but it is a great movie. Yeah. I think the thing about Hubie Halloween that we'll always say is this is maybe not a good movie, but it's a movie, Clayton, that is very formative for us and uh, important in our youth. Yes. Well, Aaron, where can they find us? So you can email us your thoughts on Practical Magic. Was it a big movie for you? Have you not seen it yet? We want to know. Is there another movie that you would like us to do? Um, email us uh, learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Learning uh, Tropes, and we're on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. As always, we have our Facebook group, The Learning the Tropes Troop. Um, so you can come visit us there. We have merch. <laughs> which you could find uh, through the link in our 
the link below in our show notes. Um, if you want to buy a t-shirt, if you want to buy a travel coffee mug, if you want to buy a sticker. Uh, I think you know. there's a sale going on if we're speaking this week. Mm-hmm. I believe there's some sort of sale going on right now, so check that out. Nice. There's a sale happening. It's it's the best time to buy. Make sure you get your uh, Christmas gifts there in, in good amount of time. Um, because here's the thing. Listen, <laughs> you can't give out candy to kids right now because it's a pandemic. So you, you're you not going to really be giving kids things for them to consume because that's not safe. I know it's packaged and things like that, but still people get freaked out by that. Why not get them a Learning the Tropes mug? Why not give your mm. trick-or-treaters a Learning the Tropes sweatshirt or baseball jersey? Why not? Those are things that kids can sterilize themselves. They can go and they yes. can wash them thoroughly. You're supposed to wash clothes before you wear them anyway. So just be like, wash this, explain them the tags on a shirt and what that means, like what those symbols mean. You're educating these kids. So I think that they're educational gifts. They're also sanitary gifts. So get all of the your trick-or-treating needs from T Public learning the tropes. Mm-hmm. So when, instead of a bowl of Almond Joys, you know, mini Almond Joys uh, that you put out, you should put out a full bowl of Learning the Tropes t-shirts. Yes. Yeah. All sizes. Yeah, like all that. sizes. And throw in a sticker while you're at it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then next week we are reading An Unnatural Vice by K.J. Charles. It's our first K.J. Charles. People have been recommending this author like crazy. So I'm really excited to read my first book by them. So go ahead, if you haven't already, start reading that one. Um, and uh, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Producer Patty. You're welcome. <laughs> bye, Pat. <laughs> <laughs>